Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Usually joining us is my co-host Wayne. However, he's on vacation today. So joining me as a repeat revisitor as my co-host, you, well, if you need a friend, he's sailing right behind because he's like a bridge over troubled water. Here is my guest co-host from the left coast, Wayne. Up, oh, I almost <laughs> said Wayne Fugit. See, oh, I'm I'm so hurts. used to it. I'm so used to it. My co-host from the left coast, Jeff Johnson. That stings a little bit, Ben. To be uh, honest with you, um, <laughs> and I I will tell you that I do. I want the hashtag change from sideline, like I took something away from him for this episode, to hashtag bailed out because he went on vacation and I had to jump in for him. Of course, it was for for an album that I'm super excited to actually be on, but. So thanks for having me, Ben. That's the that's the gist. Bailed out is the hashtag. Absolutely. And f- also for this episode, we have a another repeat revisitor. And I have a feeling that on some of his scores, I will be asking him, why don't you come to your senses? Come down from your fences. Here's the Desperado himself, the Derek Caraview. Thanks for having me, Ben. Glad to be back. Yes, it is. Uh, so... This is second time for you. That's correct. And Jeff, did, I've, do, I've lost count. Do, I've lost. You count. don't know. I'm here yeah. a lot. I I like to think of myself as like the you know the the people in high fidelity where you know you don't really hire me, but I just keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is some definite Jack Black comparisons we can make with you. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all good. All right. Well, uh, premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. So, Jeff, what T-shirt are you wearing? Normally, Ben, I would wear a band T-shirt on your music podcast, but I I feel like uh, there are other heroes that need to be called out that don't always get uh, the recognition they deserve. You don't buy tickets to go see them. They've gotten a little notoriety in the past week, so my T-shirt is for... The Four Seasons, Total Landscaping, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Underneath of it in quotation marks, it says, not the Four Seasons Hotel, Philadelphia. And it has, uh, it has Gritty uh, riding the uh, riding lawnmower. So I'm going to give it out to those lawn wrangling heroes um, that don't always get the credit they deserve. I, I ordered this T-shirt. I was, I was afraid it wouldn't show up in time, and it showed up last night. So I'm happy to wear it. That is that's awesome. I actually saved a image of this of their storefront, and the next time we have a, a team meeting for work uh, via Zoom, that's going to be my background. It, it was a it was a gift, a comedic gift from the universe. Uh, <laughs> it really was. You. I don't think I've laughed harder about anything, whether it be the location, the possible mis miscommunication, the way it all went down. The local, you know, the, the other stores around it, it just got better and better. And I, I got laughs that I really needed and had to add in a good long while. And I'm and, thankful and, for it. And that Giuliani went along with it. The, 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 they just pretended, like, no, this is where we intended to be. We intended uh. to hang our, we intended to hang our backdrop over a, a beat up, roll up garage door <laughs> in a parking lot where there's nowhere for journalists to park. You know, that it's just brilliant. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Don't look the comedic, <laughs> the comedic gods in the mouth when they hand you gold like that. Just laugh. Just laugh and buy the T-shirt. Yep. Absolutely. All right. How about you, Derek? Uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, before I say the T-shirt that I'm wearing, I would like to point out that the first time I was on the show, when I did the Beastie Boys, I was wearing a Johnny Cash T-shirt. 
And now this episode, we will be talking about Johnny Cash. And so today I am wearing a black Afghan wigs t-shirt from the uh, In Spades tour, which I bought when I saw them live in Prague. So foreshadowing for your audience. Absolutely. And and originally we were going to do the Afghan wigs, but um, when Wayne said, oh, I forgot to tell you that I'm going to be out of town this week, I, I threw it to you and said, do you want to reschedule? Do we want to do a different album and I can get a, you know, a different co-host and you were like, no, I want to hear what Wayne has to say about Afghan wigs. So we're, we're rescheduling that. So that'll be, um, sometime in early 2021. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought it, uh, since we had already had this on the schedule, I threw out another album because you had mentioned that uh, there was a possibility that Jeff would be able to co-host and so I threw out something purposely that I knew Jeff would like. So that was why I suggested the album we're talking about today. I do like it a lot. I'm very excited to be talking about it. This is the first ever, this is the first time you will have had this artist. Are we not revealing the artist yet, Ben? Uh, no, because oh, I, okay. rev- I haven't revealed my t-shirt. Oh, okay. Yet. Sorry. I'm jumping the gun. I do that on you, you sometimes. You really, you really are. But this is the first time. That, here's a tease. This artist has not had an episode yet, which is kind of a travesty, but we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so my T-shirt is. Um, I I thought that I was going to wear my Johnny Cash T-shirt, and well, we were we're recording this on Saturday early afternoon. I've been running errands all all morning, and um, I'm still in my workout clothes. So I'm uh, I'm wearing my Beastie Boys "Check Your Head" T-shirt, yeah. which you you were talking about foreshadowing. So what would the back back shadowing callback what do we call it in comedy it's called a callback yeah callback all right so we're we're calling back to Derek's first appearance on on this podcast where he bailed he bailed us out that is true so he came on the podcast to talk about bc boys check your head because the um the proposed guest that we we had who actually picked the record um, bailed out on us um, two days prior to us recording the episode. So, um, and I've since unfollowed that dude on all the socials <laughs> and um, I unsubscribed from his mailing list and everything. So revenge, I, I, revenge is a, is a, is a brutal, brutal, I don't yeah, know the phrase. A dish best served cold, I think is what. Some, something like that. <laughs> right. I mean, I usually, I usually don't, I, I feel like I've evolved as a, as an adult. So I usually don't carry that many grudges, um, but I'm carrying a grudge for that one. All right. So, All right. So yeah, he won't be getting any more promotions on any of our socials as well. So I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I was wondering, I was, I'm just going to sit back and, and listen and find yeah. out, find out the conclusion of this thrilling you know, episode of, of, uh, don't screw with me. Don't screw with Ben. Starring Ben Montgomery. Don't screw with Ben. Look, I've been there. We've, we've known each other, gosh, 20, 22 odd years. And I I know that lesson. Don't mess with him. Don't mess with him. I don't, but have we ever fought to the point where I, where either one of us have carried a grudge and said, no, no. not at any point, not, not in in Mm -hmm. 22 years of friendship. 
have we ever uh, gotten to that point? So I can't I can't say that about my usual co-host. Though. <laughs> <laughs> there there was a, there was a time there was a time that's a that's a whole other well, episode. That's a therapy episode. That's on a very special records revisited. <laughs> that's right. You know, it's kind of like, right. uh, like the very special uh, different strokes where Gordon Jump seems like a nice guy, but he's a pedophile. You know, that's, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. One. Yes, and that's that's an actual episode. Yes, it is. That's oh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, he had all the yeah. cool stuff, you know, the comic books and the games. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I think our our special episode will include Alan Thicke and Meredith Baxter Burney <laughs> in some in some capacity. I'm not sure. Or maybe Justine Bateman. Ooh. Maybe she'll come on. Yeah. Um, oh, that'd be a know. good get. That would be a good get. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's yeah. one, that's one Kevin Bacon degree away from Jason Bateman and he's, he's pretty great. So I'd, I'd listen to that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Jason Bateman, I think would be on my, on my dream list of, uh, guests. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Do, do you have a dream list, Derek? People that you would love to have on your podcast? I don't have a very long list. I do have a few people. I would love to have Greg Dooley from the singer from the Afghan Wigs. Like he's my oh, dream. Yeah. He's my dream guest. And there's a, a handful of people I think would be would be very cool to have on. But I actually, because of COVID, I thought, well, nobody's on tour. So I did send something to his management, and they said that he wasn't doing any press at the time. Mm. Uh, and I may try again later. But I, you know, really, my dream is to have Greg Dooley and talk about uh, Prince's Purple Rain. Oh, that would be great. Because yeah. that's a, he has said that one point in an interview, he said that may be his favorite record of all time. Huh. And it's one of mine. And so I purposely don't have that on my wish list. I'm saving it if the planets align and, and Greg Dooley will come on my show. We're going to talk about that. Gotcha. Who uh, who else is on your dream list? <sighs> uh, I'm trying to think because I, I don't, I've just haven't really gone for the, uh, the big celebrity or the, you know, the musician. So I did have, uh, Michael J. Sheehy on at the beginning right, of the, uh, and, and, you know, I'm a huge fan and that was, uh, that was a really fun time. And, uh, I don't, I'm, I don't, you know, of course you asked me now, like every name just dove cr- directly out of my head. And, uh, yeah. cause there was a, there's a, I would love to have, um, you know, Patton Oswalt, uh, cause I really like him as a stand up comedian. And I think, and he's always comes from that, kind of nerdy place and it would be fun to have him uh if i could find a record uh i would love to have d snyder on the show from twisted sister because i follow him on twitter and he's um he's a pretty cool dude and i interviewed him when i was working in college radio okay and he was he was really nice he was in uh his second band called Widowmaker at the time and so um that's what I was interviewing him for the, for Widowmaker. And then he also was willing to talk about his time in Washington and uh, a few other things. And, you know, I have a relatively deadpan voice and it was, it was a very exciting moment for me because I was a huge twisted sister fan when I was, you know, 12 years old. And yeah. so interviewing him at the, you know, when it was I 21 or 22 at the end of the interview, I say, you know, you have no idea how excited I am to talk to you. And he's like, you're exactly right. I have no idea how excited <laughs> you are right now. And it was great, you know. And then the band was in town. This is, I was in college radio and working in Tampa. 
And so I got to go to the sound check and he remembered our interview and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. He's a, he's a really great guy. And I keep thinking about reaching out, but I want to find, I want to be able to approach with a specific record to ask him to do. And I haven't been able to find exactly that right record yet, but I, I do plan on trying. So that's D Snyder's definitely on my list. Very good. Very good. I've already knocked off a bunch of my bucket list people. I bet. Yeah. So just between, you know, you having a couple of good, um, threads and again with COVID and people not being able to tour and then just lighten up the phone. So uh, you, you had just like a murderer's row there for a while. It was great. Yeah. Um, we're, we're still doing good. I've got, I've got a few lined up upcoming one, one of which is one of my, one of my bucket list items, somebody that we've already done a record about. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, so he'll, that'll be the first ever time that I've got somebody that we've done a record about. Um, did you ever reach out to Matthew cause? I, well, he actually sent me a message and then I had yeah. asked about it. Uh, it just, you know, saying that, you know, kind of thanking me for the episode or whatever. And, yeah. uh, that was the only time anybody's ever, uh, that I, I covered actually liked the thing. And so it's like, Hey, I know you were on Ben show. If you'd like to do my show, that'd be great. And he never replied to that. And so I just kind of let it go. I may revisit it a little bit later, but uh, I figured I will, uh, I will let you know it took over a year for that to happen. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't until I was, I was, I was messaging with Ira, the drummer mm-hmm. and uh, about something. And I don't even remember. I'm like, so if you hear, if you talk to Matthew, and he's like, has Matthew still not been on? I was like, no, he still hasn't been on. So um, anyways, he, uh, he, he somehow nudged Matthew enough where Matthew finally responded to my emails. And that, okay. was, that was a great episode. That was. And I, and I think I even mentioned before that he strikes me as the nicest person who has ever lived in the history of humanity or something. He just, he <laughs> just super nice. And uh, I yeah, should mention. I'm not sure if it's him or if it's Glenn Phillips. Glenn Phillips called me a virgin. I don't like that guy. <laughs> That's well, true. And see, here, I, I have a question for Derek. Um, okay. And it's it's a health-related question. I wanted to check in on him on, and see. It's it's about his heart. Yeah. And um, I wanted to find out. We did we did an episode with Glenn Phillips. And we did, um, you know, it's a fantastic episode. And mm-hmm. uh, he's a good guy. And we did uh, Peter Gabriel. So, and and you know, Ben, sometimes you let listeners weigh in on, on the albums as well. We don't count the scores, you know, in the episode, thank goodness, uh, for this one, but, um, (laughs) Derek, uh, submitted scores and, uh, I think he ranked in your eyes as a five, which made me feel like he had must've, first of all, I made, I, I, I will apologize. I made some very dismissive remarks about him. Uh, when you said he was weighing in from Poland, I thought, well, this is maybe a Polish thing. And, um, Turns out it's not so much. He's not actually Polish. He just lives there. And uh, I, I, I was a little harsh, perhaps, but I do want to know, like, what was the big breakup story that uh, that caused you to be so hurt by uh, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes that you would rank it so low? <laughs> it's a combination of things, Jeff. And I'm going to I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this now. I was originally ranking that record based on the vinyl. So I had picked it up on vinyl just a couple of weeks earlier. I found a, a good little uh, new and used record place here in in Wrocław and 
Uh, I found Peter Gabriel's So. It's a it's a Russian version. So the the music is all or the you know the lyrics are still obviously all in English, but all of the packaging is in Russian. And so I had revisited that, and I it was really enjoying it because I think you kind of remember. Um, Sledgehammer just got way, way, way overplayed. You know, that was being played every fourth video on MTV at the time. And so it was one of those, I liked the song and then I hated the song. And then I fell back into Peter Grable and realized, you know, I did like that song. Uh, There is a bad breakup involved with that. But the thing is, I had originally scored it on the vinyl and then realized it was from the CD version that you guys were doing. And they're in a different order. The the play the this the sequencing is different on the vinyl than it is on the CD. Yeah. So there's a slight difference there and the new one and they and because I'd been listening to it on vinyl, I really hadn't heard that last track as much. And for some reason, you know how it is when you go to rank these things, sometimes something just strikes you that week. And I've heard you guys say a bunch of times, you know, this week it's my eight, next week it could have been my ten, the week after that it could have been my six. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. And for some reason, that song that I wasn't used to hearing just sounded really fresh. And I really enjoyed it for that week. And so then that one kind of rose up and in your eyes, for whatever reason, kind of went down. And then I thought I had switched things up, but because I was basing it on the vine, I put it in the wrong. It was actually supposed to be my seven. I'm a little embarrassed. I didn't want to admit that, <laughs> <laughs> which and is still not that high. You said that Glenn called you a, a virgin on that episode. What, I don't remember him calling you a virgin. Because well, uh, then when Ben said my score and then uh, Glenn said something to the effect of, I don't think he has ever found love or you know, there was something. And it was, you know, he didn't say the word virgin, but it was right. it was strongly implied. And when you right. get called a virgin by the guy from Toad the Wet Sprocket, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like if, if James Hetfield wants to call me a virgin, fine. But the guy from Toad the Wet Sprocket wants to call me a virgin. That hurts. That's yeah, yeah. that's bad. So well, I will say this: that that my my uh, my taking a pot shot at you on that is actually how we became friends on social media. After that, you responded yep. uh, on the episode on Twitter. Uh, we started to communicate. We become Facebook friends, and and here we are. So uh, hey, I'll, I'll take introductions to new friendships any way I can get them. Exactly. And to go back to the wish list, uh, Jeff Johnson, the Jeff Johnson is hopefully going to be on my show talking about Wilco. We just haven't set that up because I've I've had some personal issues going on and I haven't been able to do uh, uh, as many things as I was hoping to. But uh, Jeff, I have not forgotten that we are going to do that record. I haven't forgotten either. And uh, whenever we can schedule that and make it work, I'm down. Uh, it's an album I really I love. So, um, you know, I which, I which one on this podcast I love that record. Uh, no, no, we're we're actually going to do a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Huh? Yep. Okay. So. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, that's that was the uh, main question I, I had for Derek is to want to make sure that his heart is OK, because uh, I feel like there was some concern after I heard his score up in your eyes. It's it's there was there was a bad high school breakup involved with that. But there uh, always the, is. Yeah. Always the, less, is. the less said, the better. Well, and after that, we found out that, uh, you know, as, as we started talking, we found out we're both stand up comics. We both yep. have podcasts. So mm-hmm. we found some some common ground. Definitely. Yeah. And um, spoiler alert, we also have a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot episode in the works. Well, nice. That's a great record. With a two-time baseball MVP. Wait, you, <laughs> you do without me? Are you sidelining me for a we, local? 
Yep, I Are am. Are you serious? I can't. I can't. I don't know I if can't. I can finish this episode. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't invite you for this one. I was. I was expressly told by Wayne that um, this is this is the episode that uh, he wants to be a part of. So I'm sorry. You can expressly tell Wayne to kiss my butt. You hey, guys, yeah, Jeff, you're you going to be doing the show with me, and we're going to make yeah, sure yeah, our show is I'll, better. We will make sure it's better. Fine. Fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, one other thing. So, um, Derek, don't feel hashtag, bad. Hashtag crowbar to Wayne's knees, I think, is what we're, yeah. what well, we're looking at here. Well, we, we, did, we did a skit on one of the episodes where we did sideline him, where we locked him in a closet. It wasn't a skit. Yeah. So we can always bring that skit back up. Um, so, so Derek, don't feel bad if you got called out by by Jeff because Jeff called me out on social media because I was trying to tease an upcoming episode about unanimous top scores and I inadvertently left off my list in your eyes, Peter. I Gabriel, saw that, yeah. Because um, so for the listener scores, I have a separate spreadsheet that I that I keep for to keep track of all the scores for, for those. And so when I was going through my, my normal spreadsheet of scores, um, I didn't see it. So I, you know, I'm putting together all these unanimous top scores and I forgot it. And Jeff called me out on social media. He couldn't text me. He could have just texted me. <laughs> instead of making me, be? Well, you know, you make me look bad. Right. Well, come on, man. Um, you know, I, I text you plenty of stuff where I'm you do I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. So for this one, I was like, nope, I am definitely, especially in light of all of the talk that we have in, in the country right now about things being fraudulent. I wasn't going to miss a chance to <laughs> make you make it look like a uh, fraudulent, uh, fraudulent declaration on your particular Twitter. Well, my apologies for my hanging chat on this one. <laughs> um, all right. So, so, that this seems like a good segue to the record that we're going to talk about because the record that we're going to talk about, we also are going to put on the unanimous top scores list. Not surprising. Not surprising. Yep. Uh, we'll we'll get there. Um, so we've done over 150 episodes at this point, and first of all, hey, stop there. Good for you, man. I, I, Thank I, you. Let me just publicly on on air we're not really on air this will air later but congratulations on i remember when you started this project uh you and i talked about it uh to be 150 episodes in and and record them in the stretch that you do you guys have really done a lot of work and and uh put together something that's really great so congratulations if you don't hear that from other people thank you i appreciate that yeah i would uh i would say the same thing i'm I'm not sure exactly how many episodes i'm up to because i've done the season thing so i'm about 50 ish um, but yeah, you guys, uh, you guys do really good, really consistent and, uh, a lot of fun. You're my, the first podcast I check in with. So yeah, oh, congratulations. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. All right. So here, here are the unanimous top scores that so far, and you guys, you guys can weigh in. If you know these records, you can let me know if, uh, if you agree with this. So our first unanimous top score came from john prine's tree of forgiveness we all agreed that summer's end was the best song after that was bash and pop which is tommy stinson of the replacements his band 
So from Friday Night is Killing Me, we all picked Tiny Pieces. You guys know Bash and Pop? I know the name, and I'm sure I've heard a track or two, but that's not an album I know. Okay. Uh, off of Prince's Parade, we all picked Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun episode. Joan was awesome. She was great. I, Infectious I laugh. Her. I love her. I love her to death. Um, Leonard Cohen's various positions, we all picked Hallelujah. Yeah, I like that record a lot, and I think I would have gone with a different track, but not 100% sure. That's, you know, that would have been in my top two. Yep. Janis Joplin's Pearl, we all picked me and Bobby McGee, because that's just... Yeah, um, that's... That, I would yeah, like that. that's, such a, that's such a great song. Um, and uh, we talked about that on our Chris Christopherson episode as well. That was not a unanimous... That that song is on Chris Christopherson's debut, and we did not unanimously pick that. That's another one where the, her version is better than his, even though he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, she she has the definitive version of that. That's for sure. For sure, yeah. we'll get into that in a couple of things today. But uh, yeah. you know, and I would say Christopherson would probably say the same thing. Oh, I definitely think he would. Yeah. Oh yeah, he would. Yeah. Um, from Acton Baby, we all picked one. That's one of the few U2 songs I actually like, so I could see that, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, I know you're a um, U2 fan. Would yeah, you have picked one? I think I, I, you know, not having sat through, you know how deliberate I am about the scoring when I jump on your show. So I, yep. I think I probably would have ended there as well. But gosh, there's a lot of songs on that album I like, and that's just, that, that is a pretty special album for me. Yep. Something like Mysterious Ways or... Um, you know, uh, even better than the real thing would be high up there. I'm not sure where I'd end up, but it, it, I couldn't argue with one. And then from Hunky Dory, we all picked Life on Mars. And I would, that was. I would agree with that one. Um, yeah, same here. I was on the episode, so it would be weird if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, lastly, uh, the episode that just came out the week that we're recording this. So from Jeff Buckley's grace, we all picked lover. You should have come over. And, you know, I was surprised because I thought for sure you guys were all going to go with hallelujah. I thought it would be the first, uh, uh, double That's- song, let's say in there. And that it wasn't that I I'm trying to think, cause I like that record a lot and I don't know if I would have picked that one, but it's possible because I haven't really, dove into it. I hadn't listened to it in a long time. So I thought that was pretty, pretty fascinating. Cause I, that is not the first thing that jumped to mind. So that's, well, that's, that was one, fun. Where, that's one where I would have disagreed too. I, I wouldn't have ended up unanimous. I, hallelujah to me is just uh, and nothing wrong with your choice, but I, I surprised that it didn't jump to somebody's top. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. And Jeff, I don't know if you do this while you're coming up with scores for the episodes that you come on, but if you sit with the lyrics for Lover, you should have come over while you're listening to it. I do. I do that too. So, and again, I didn't, you, I didn't score the episode. Yeah. So it's a very, it's very yeah. much, I've come on a few of your episodes where when you give me the album, I'm like, I know what my top would be. And that's how I would have been with Grace initially, but I'm also always been open and I have had the tops shift on me a couple of times. Um, but like this album we're doing today, I knew what my top would be before we started. Yeah. And then I was open to switching it, but it just never got Same here. So I, I could have gotten switched as well. Um, and I've switched on some of your episodes specifically because of sitting with lyrics. Um, yeah. so that it's possible, but my initial impression, you know, without going through the scoring process would have definitely been hallelujah. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, let's jump into. Well, and you still you didn't do it again. Again, you what? didn't mention the. You didn't mention Peter Gabriel. So again, well, we talked I, about it already. I feel like it's a conspiracy. <laughs> we talked about it. Already. <laughs> well, we did talk about it, and we know that I agree, and we already know that Derek. All right, agree, well, so well, I'm let kidding. me. I'm let giving me, you a hard time. I'm giving you. Let a hard me do time. the formal then, and then from Peter Gabriel. So we picked in your eyes. There, I agree. Is that better? I would definitely okay. agree with that. I was on the episode, and I was there when we scored it. <laughs> Yeah, and I still right. maintain. I don't think Red Rain is a wrong answer. I'm going to just say that. No, that's it's not a bad answer. Nope, it is the wrong answer, but it's not a bad. <laughs> one. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, let's jump into this. So, um, luckily, I have two diehard Johnny Cash fans on this episode. Um, I'm not one of them. I do like Johnny Cash, and I think as we talk, I'll, I'll kind of share my story of how I've become a Johnny Cash fan. But um, we are going to talk about American Four, The Man Comes Around, which is technically, I guess, this is the last album that was released while Johnny Cash was alive. It came out in November of 2002. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was the right. last during his lifetime that came out. Yeah. Um, it did pretty well. It was a po- it was a popular hit. Uh, it it uh, was number twenty two on the Billboard two hundred. It was number two on the top country albums. This is all from from Billboard. So th- there was a nice resurgence of Johnny Cash popularity that came in the nineties. And and I- I'm gonna I'm gonna volley this over to one of you guys to talk about how cash kind of came back into the limelight in the nineties. Okay. So, cause I have a very specific story now I've, I've done two of these American recordings on my show and um, I have a very specific entry to Johnny cash. Uh, as I mentioned, I was working in college radio over at the university of Tampa and my senior year, of college, I was both the uh, station manager and I was the metal director. And I was sent the first Johnny Cash record because um, Glenn Danzig wrote a song on that first one. And I don't know if they sent this to all the metal directors of American Recordings, that's everybody, or if it was just a, a set number, or if it was because I went to college in the South or or what have you. But they weren't really expecting metal radio play, <laughs> uh, but I think they just wanted people to, they were just trying to branch it out a little bit. And so sure. I ended up uh, bringing it home and listening to it. And it was just immediate. Um, I, you know, I had heard Johnny Cash, my, you know, my family, you know, my, my mom and dad basically listened to rock music. So there wasn't a lot of country music in my house, even though my grandfather, I think liked some country music, but you know, so I knew ring of fire, walk the line, maybe boy named Sue, you know, it was, you know, he was, he's kind of a part of the American DNA, but it wasn't anything that I owned or, or had listened to on purpose. And when I got that record, it was just like mind blown. Uh, and it was an immediate thing. And I just fell in love with that record and ended up going back. And, and of course, you know, that I think was his 81st record, if I remember correctly. Uh, and he had a, a pretty rough patch in the in the eighty, like when he was on Mercury Records. I don't think he was putting out his best stuff. Um, so I ended up with like a greatest hits package, and um, it just I really began to appreciate how 
rock and roll Johnny Cash really was, even when he was at his most country, you know, uh, and just sort of the, the spirit and the attitude and um, his also willingness to take on social justice causes and, um, you know, just a lot of things. And so he, uh, he really appealed to me and it was one of those, um, you know, that specific time and moment. And I knew a little bit of Leonard Cohen and I'd be, I was becoming a really big Leonard Cohen um, fan at the time. And he does a Leonard Cohen song on that first one. And it just really snowballed from there. And, uh, you know, that second record is basically Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with Johnny Cash singing. And it's fantastic. Uh, and, you know, so I don't want to uh, take up too much more time with that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's my introduction to Johnny Cash and why this, uh, this later period is, is so important to me. Like I have a Johnny Cash tattoo. and uh, Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that um, to my dad wasn't a huge country music guy, but liked enough of it where, you know, I could, I, every so often he would put on country music. He was more of a soft rock guy, but, um, every so often this would come on and, um, going back to what you were saying about the social, social justices, my dad didn't really like the country music guys that would have been considered the, the outlaw country guys. So mm-hmm. every, everyone that was in the, the, the highwaymen, I don't think my dad liked any of them. <laughs> those, the, those were not Buck Owens, you know, the, that yeah. was not the, the hee-haw, the hee-haw crowd, you know, the, the, the Merle Haggards and the Waylon Jennings and the Johnny Cashes. Those were, those were the, yeah, those are country guys, but, um, we don't like them as much. Right. A little too edgy for that. Yeah. It was a little too edgy, which, um, you know, there's, there's a really great, uh, hour long documentary on, um, on Netflix about Johnny cash. And I'm trying to remember, I should have wrote it down. Do you guys know Johnny cash and Richard Nixon? The thing with Richard Nixon. I watched that over the summer. That almost made me burst into tears at one point. It was, uh, that was so good. Yeah. But that's that, that's again, that's, that's my dad. Mr. Conservative um, didn't didn't like that um, that Johnny would stand up for you know the war or what 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 was it again that he was because uh, well, you know because that was he didn't when he really had like Nixon right well no what happened was because he actually said that he was in support of Nixon so he had his TV show and he was like hey right. you know I'm an American this is an American president and I'm, you know, I'm standing behind him and he didn't, I don't think really, you know, it wasn't like I'm in support of the war because he's always been in support of, you know, the soldier and the downtrodden. you know, he was in the air force during the Korean war, even though he was in Germany. Um, And so then Nixon really tried to take advantage of that. And he had invited Johnny to come play the white house, but he wanted to play these like really politically charged songs, none of which Johnny Cash did. So he wanted to do like Okie from Skokie and, I don't remember the other two songs, but Cash basically wouldn't commit to that because then he kind of realized he was being used. And then, so he agreed to come and he ended up playing his own songs or playing different songs. And I'm pretty sure one of them was uh, one of his more protest style songs. So I don't know if he sang The Man in Black or I don't remember the exact song, but uh, he basically, he went and he smiled and he played nice, but he wouldn't play the, the BS songs that Nixon wanted him to play. And he played songs that came from the heart. And I think he uh, was permanently kind of stung by the manipulation that had happened with that. And that's why that was such a powerful documentary. Yeah. 
Jeff, what was your introduction to Johnny Cash? Well, my introduction to Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash is my first, very, very first musical love. My second was Dolly Parton, but that was a different kind of love and had nothing to do with music. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, at age seven or eight, I think, and I didn't understand why, but uh, later I figured it out. No, but Johnny Cash, 100% was my first musical love. My grandfather, my grandpa, um, introduced me to Johnny Cash, uh, Hank Williams, and Bill Cosby, and two out of the three of those have aged wonderfully. And um, <laughs> <laughs> those were the cassettes that we listened to, you know, from uh, Johnny Cash from the time I was about five, riding around in the pickup truck with my grandpa in Montana. Um, and, uh, you know, listening to Boy Named Sue and um, Don't Take Your Guns to Town and uh, Ring of Fire and all of those sort of the classic Cash. And I've never, Cash has never ever left my uh, bloodstream in terms of music. Um, Later, though, with regards to, um, you know, the way that Rick Rubin took and, and brought him into a modern context and stripped down. We just talked about uh, Petty's Heartbreaker uh, or uh, P- Petty's um, Wildflowers album. And yep. and Rubin did a similar thing there, but he did it with Johnny Cash in a way that humanized him so much, gave him some of these wonderful covers and some of his own songs, but really made it about the raw sort of voice um, and the storytelling aspect. My my grandpa was a storyteller, and and I've always been really drawn to storytelling music, whether it be you know Johnny Cash or Neil Young. I love storytellers. Um, I love to listen to stories put to music, and and Johnny does it phenomenally, and always has, and 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 paints these tapestries uh, uh, in a way that I feel like I can see the characters coming uh, coming to life out of out of the the stereo. Um, so I've, I've always been a very devoted fan of cash, but I, I couldn't have been more thrilled than when this series of albums started coming out, the American series and the, um, you know, uh, in that midst, there's also a VH1 storytellers with he and Johnny or with he and Willie Nelson. That's fantastic. That's so, that's so good. That is so good. It's just them back and forth. uh, And it's just amazing. Um, you know, and, 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 uh, this, the, the fountain of music that has come out of this relationship with Rick Rubin, the unearthed, you know, box set and all of this, uh, all of these different albums is phenomenal. And I think introduced a, a younger audience to him that, that may not have ever gotten him, uh, if it hadn't been a different way. And I, I think this is one of Rubin's really, really great accomplishments, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Jeff, if I can ask real quick, so now were you buying cash records on the regular or was this, you know, did you have kind of like that old Johnny Cash and then you, this is when you jump back in? I mean, did you have Johnny 99? Did you have the stuff that was on Mercury? Did you, did you keep up with him or? When I had, when I had money, I would, I would buy anything, anything I could get a hold of from Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was, was always... But I knew that he had dropped more out of you know mainstream, and I and I knew that there were things along the way that I didn't I didn't like as much. But I I had that connection to his music, and and so to me it felt like when you're watching a, a band or an artist that you really love, and you're buying their new stuff. And I've been there a few times, even with Neil Young, and and you go, this isn't quite as good. Maybe they're tailing off, and then to see this resurgence uh, of of this uh, relationship with Ruben through the American series was super thrilling to me because I did think that, that some of the other things that he'd released, you know, in the in- interim were not quite as imaginative and were not, they, they were sort of just albums in a lot of ways. Right. There weren't, there weren't albums that I felt like were classics necessarily. Um, uh, and 
I, I, I do. I, I was thrilled with this last, this third chapter, and it's what we, you know, what we talked about on the Tom Petty um, episode as well. I, I feel like you know him, him leaving when he did means there's not that final chapter of maybe quieter material that's more like that. Um, and uh, I, I think we got that from Johnny Cash. I, I really yeah. regret never having a chance to see Johnny Cash play live. That's a big, big uh, disappointment to me to not get a chance to see him play. Same here. Yeah. And and I would think, Ben, that uh, I probably had a lot to do with you eventually coming around on Cash because I shoved him down your throat for, you know. <laughs> a long de- time. Decades. <laughs> a I mean, long time. Shoved him down your throat is wrong. You, you and I have always had a, a, a big musical exchange. You, you've been a big influence on me musically. you know. And likewise. You're substantially older than me, and and so you introduced me to a lot oh of gosh. things as a teenager. Up every day, I was, I was hoping. I was hoping. <laughs> it's, it's really not true. There's five it, years difference. It's not. When I was 14, it seemed like a lot, though. You yeah, know, I guess. For, you, you I know, guess. but you 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 were a musical mentor at one point, really. You know, guiding a lot of the and and over over the years, we've back and forth a lot, and and uh, you know, I took you to your first Wilco concert, and yep. and and but I really pushed Johnny Cash, and and. Uh, and I'm glad to see that you've come around on him as well. Yeah, we'll we'll wait for two songs, and then I will I will share my okay. my conversion story to 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 Cash. Excellent. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into this. Um, oh, one thing that that I will will say. So we're going to talk about a lot of um, appearances that happen on on this uh, on this record. There is a. Uh, a lot of A-listers, so uh, we've brought up the the Heartbreakers. So Mike Campbell and Ben Mont are on this this record. Yeah, I think they're on every track, aren't they? I th- uh, nearly. It's not quite every track. I've got I've got all of the the credits listed out. If you want oh. me to go into them on the individual yeah. songs, yeah. We'll, um, we'll do that. And it it is a it's a crazy um, uh, conglomeration of super talented. Uh, musicians yeah. that that go beyond the names that you quickly recognize, like you know Mike Campbell and John Frusciante. I never can pronounce his name right. Uh, from Red Hot Chili Peppers, Frusciante, Frusciante, maybe. Um, but it is. I mean, it's a who's who of brilliant session musicians. That uh, a lot of them you may not quickly know their names, but they're they're really really uh, brilliant musicians. So he. Yeah. he a ton of the tracks, like was it Smokey Hormel? I had yeah. never heard of that guy, and I looked at his discography. It's like Jesus Christ, it's insane! <laughs> it is in- insane. He is yeah. a an epic, epic studio musician. Yep, um, and he is on almost every track on this. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's dive into it. So, as a reminder, when we do our scoring, it's based on number of songs on the record. This is where I usually kick it over to Wayne, but um, I'm going to kick it to Jeff. So, how many songs on this record? There are 15 songs, Ben. Which means top song is going to get 15 points. Nick's favorite song, 14 points on down to the lowest score of one. I will say this. So we are doing the CD version of this. So there are two other songs that are on the 17-track vinyl release. So what's missing from, from our scoring is going to be Wichita Lineman and Big Iron. Yeah, Wichita Lineman, most known as a, a Glenn Campbell. So. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and neither one, I think if I were to score Big Iron or Wichita Lineman, neither one of them would have scored very high. 
I would disagree. Like Big Iron would have scored much, much higher than quite a few of the songs on here. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I like I like that song a lot. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. All right. First song, the man and comes I around. Heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, "Come and see," and I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names And he decides who to free and who to blame Everybody won't be treated all the same There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around And I will preface all of the conversation that we're going to have with, with these songs that so only three were written by Johnny Cash. And this song is the only song that Cash specifically wrote for this album. Is that accurate? Yes. This yeah, is, that's this is uh, supposed to be one of Cash's last written songs. Um, yeah. if, if not the last written it, song, it, yeah. It may be his last one, yeah. Well, longest song on the record at 4 minutes 27 seconds. Whatever for whatever that's worth. Um, when I do listen to this song and knowing that this is pretty much at the end of Johnny's career and life, does this does that make this song more meaningful or poignant for you guys? For sure, hundred percent. Yeah, for me. Yeah, there's a lot of songs on this album that that's going to be my theme. Is that hearing him at his age with his experience weighing in on some things that it, it gives it a context and a texture that it might not have otherwise. Johnny Cash was a very spiritual guy, um, very religious, a lot of religious iconography in, in a lot of his songs. Um, and this one is, is filled with it. A uh, lot of, a uh, lot of references to biblical passages, et cetera. Um, it, it's funny. Cause I, you know, I, I, I do, I have a big fascination with his, his, um, religious music as well. Not even not being a particularly religious person myself. Um, I do have a lot of fascination in things that, that delve into spirituality and beliefs and, and his really, really hits hard in this song. Apparently it was written about a dream that he had about Queen Elizabeth, uh, where she compared him to a thorn tree in a whirlwind, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. So hmm. th- this one has Randy Scruggs and Smokey Hormel on guitar and, uh, Ben Montench on piano and organ. Um, and it's, it's got this real heavy bass. It's a bass register piano. Um, that is just fantastic. Really just deep and kind of rumbles. Yeah. Derek, what do you got on this one? I love it. Just this apocalyptic opening, like literally. And I, I love the kind of the spoken beginning and end, you know, that, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. I mean, how awesome, how do you, that's how you start a fucking record, you know. Chills. Sorry, have, just, have you been practicing? <laughs> no, I just I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so it's just great. And then this, they, you know, and I know he's not playing the guitar on this, and he was never a great guitar player. Like he was a, a an adequate guitar player. Yeah. And to you know reference that uh, the storytellers when uh, Willie Nelson at one point took 
Cash's guitar to play something. And he's like, that's the first time that guitar has been played all night, you know? So, uh, he, he's really, and, but it's still, it, I'm, I'm assuming this was one of Cash's guitars that was being played because even though he's not playing it, it sounds like him and it's still something that it feels like he could play. Uh, and it's just, and it's great. And the fact that this is the last song that he wrote and, but how lively this song really is. And, you know, Jeff, I'm like you, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person at all. Uh, and I've often joked that Johnny Cash is the only person I am willing to listen to talk about God. And in this one, it's basically almost all revelation, uh, and still just so much. It's, it's so great. The only thing I have a problem with the line, the father hen calling his chickens home because you know, hens aren't fathers, you know, other than that, I just, I love so much of the, the, the lyrical content on this, even though I'm, you know, I, I don't know a lot of the Bible stuff, but just, you know, at the terror and in each sip and in each sup is just great. It's a really poetic track. The, 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 yeah. the, the lyrics are very poetic in the way that yeah. you bring those things in. I like the lyric right before that father hen one of how he pronounces till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom. Yeah, that's so great. And I don't even know what that means. And it's I awesome. Either. I love it. <laughs> I don't either, but it's, it's, it's awesome. All right. Um, should we get scores? Yeah. yeah. Jeff, your score? Uh, I'm a 12 on this one. Derek? I'm a 13. And this is 11. All right. Next song. Hurt. My sweetest friend, everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all. This is a, a iconic song for Cash. Um, it is originally a Nine Inch Nail song, but this is this is now Johnny's song, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's what that's even what Reznor kind of said. He he didn't he wasn't initially thrilled with the idea um, because he he, he kind of felt like it might be a gimmicky thing, and then uh, supposedly he heard the song and then saw the video and said that he was not only deeply moved, but he, he thought Cash's cover was beautiful and meaningful going as far as to say that isn't mine. Any, that song isn't mine anymore. Yeah. And, you, and I remember him saying in another interview, Johnny Cash stole my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys ever watch um, on YouTube, the reaction videos that, that a lot yeah. of people do? Yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I went through a, a Johnny cash wormhole, uh, the other night where I was watching some of the other people, um, with their reactions to watching hurt for the very, very first time. And like most of them cry, including, yeah. including, um, who I, I'm trying to remember. I should have wrote it, wrote it down, but there's a, there's a two teenage, um, African-Americans who, there's got, there's a there's a in the air tonight is one of the best funniest things. Oh, I, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Well, they they also did hurt as yeah. well, and they get uh, it. I'll they totally back. get it. So afterwards, they're like, "Oh my gosh, that was awesome." So I have a very similar story. So he, here's my conversion story, and Jeff, you can chime in with with any um, details. So 
Jeff has been trying to convert me to be a Johnny Cash fan for what probably 93 94 <laughs> yeah. um was was when you came at me full full court press and yeah. I was like yeah just I'm not a huge country guy that the country thing has really come later in life um that's only probably been in the last 20 years that I've really embraced um country and you know I and I don't even really call it my embracing it's more americana so we went to Nashville for Jeff's was it your 40th it was your 40th right I you know I don't I don't remember it was it for a birthday I just know we went to see Wilco we went to see Wilco at the at the Ryman yeah so so we we spent a couple of days in Nashville and and one of the things that you really wanted to do was you're like we're going to the Johnny Cash Museum I'm like oh, all right I guess so nice um so we we went to the museum and I'm reading all these stories like I'm usually not that guy that goes to museums to read all of the little typed up <laughs> notes that they they have next to this was Johnny's you know um a military uniform that kind of deal I I'm usually not into it but something something was just I I I knew that Jeff was going to take his time, so I took my time as well and got to know the story. And they really weave it from start to finish. And so as you're coming to the close of of the museum into the gift shop, they have on a loop, they have the video for Hurt. And so you've just gone through his entire journey, and now you're watching the accumulation of it in hurt. And so June is in the video towards the end of her life as well. It's just, you, you can't be not moved by listening to that song and watching the video. And I finally got it. Like I, I finally knew what cash was about. And so at this point now I've been going back and listening to some of his, his iconic, uh, records. Um, I I'm still pissed off at Rolling Stones top 500 because I just checked last night. Cash only has one record in that top 500. <laughs> and yeah. which, which one at Folsom prison. Folsom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what I, the one and it's was, and it's tracking in the wrong direction. So in the yeah. updated updated list, it's one sixty four. In the two thousand twelve list, it was number eighty eight. So they don't include any of the American uh, none of them there at all, which is which is really crazy to me. And I will say with his older albums, that um, he was like a lot of musicians at those times where it was less about albums and it was more about uh, cutting cutting a single. Yeah, and so a lot of his albums, a lot of the albums people know the best, ended up being like almost greatest hits, anyway. At 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 particular points, and so that that one, the Folsom one, is maybe the best album representation of him uh, from the old stuff. But the the idea that they didn't include any of the American ones, I think, really kind of misses the cultural impact of of these albums. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, the video is haunting. I mean, it's just absolutely haunting. It's a haunting video that again this is such a great example of how context can change you know just by the singer that you pop in to a particular song 
Um, and the way that Trent Reznor's lyrics were not written for an old man looking back at his life, but when Johnny sings them, that's what they are. Yep. And yep. about the end of life coming and the idea that, you know, everyone goes away in the end is, is it's just, it's different context than what Trent gave it. And I, I like the Nine Inch Nails version uh, of this particular yeah, song, always have. But boy, when I heard this, I it, this was one of the most jarring examples to me of how quickly context can change. And and you we've already talked about Hallelujah in this episode, which is one of the other ones I put very, very high in terms of covers that, that um, overtake their originals. But this is my number one that I always come to uh, of covers that just, you know, and it's not a knock on Trent. He wrote the song that 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 Johnny's singing, yep. uh, but this is the one where, to me, it just it, it absolutely becomes the quintessential version of it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I I love the original. It's one of my all time favorite Nine Inch Nail songs. Uh, I saw them on that tour, so on the Downward Spiral tour with uh, Marilyn Manson and the Jim Rose Circus opening. How nineties, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And. When they played the song, which I don't know if you've seen the video, because the video is the live version, you know, and they had the like the white, um, I don't want to say sheets, but uh, uh, curtains come down and it was like the the stuff up, you know, it was like, I remember like a fox decomposing or whatever. Yeah. And it was really one of the best concert moments that I had seen to that point. And I had been to a ton of shows because I was working for college radio and I got to go to these, a lot of shows for free. And that one, even though I wasn't a big Nine Inch Nails fan, like that was really impressive. And this is a song that I've always liked. Uh, but, you know, this is in the pantheon of cover songs. I mean, this is up there with, uh, you're talking about Buckley, which I'm going to talk about in a second, or, you know, Jimi Hendrix's, uh, you know, uh, Watchtower. Um, and and for me, you know, you bring up the, the Buckley thing. This is kind of like the reverse of that because you have Jeff Buckley who was in his twenties covering Leonard Cohen, you know, who had written this when he was in his sixties. And so as, as beautiful as Jeff Buckley's version is, and it is an exquisitely beautiful song and a fantastic song. There's something about a 20 year old singing that, that doesn't have the necessary gravitas of a 60 year old singing that. Right. So while his voice, I think it added it to me specifically because he died so soon after. That's the thing I found interesting. I, I agree with what you're saying, though. So, you know, and I love I love Buckley's version. And um, I'm, I'm almost disappointed that suddenly, like, that's the everybody version, let's say. But that's fine. But so now we have, like, the 70s cash covering a 20s Reznor. And it's, I think, fascinating how different because, you know, really that first song is, you know, the original is about somebody who's, let's say, in their 20s or 30s, you know, thinking that they've thrown their life away. And now we have a 70-year-old who knows that they've thrown their life away. Yeah. And there's something about that, even though the lyrics don't change, except for one, one thing, which I want to bring up just in a second. Uh, and it's harrowing. You know, um, and Cash said, you know, he never did heroin, but he had plenty of his own addictions. Uh, so even though there's the, you know, the, the needle tears a hole uh, line, whereas, you know, maybe that one specific thing wasn't something that Cash knew about. He knew about everything else in this song. Uh, now, he changes one lyric, and I'm curious what you guys think about, because he says, I wear this crown of thorns as opposed to, to I wear this crown of shit. And, uh, did you guys have any problem with that? Did you find anything about that or did you even know that? No, I did know that. And I did feel like, um, I 
feel like it wouldn't have felt like an authentic Johnny Cash thing to say. And so to me, it made sense that he would say it. And then for him to put it in that religious context is so on brand with him anyway, that I think it's a, it, it is an appropriate swap to me. Um, yeah. it, it fits Trent Reznor and, and his, you know, in your face feel, I think it would have felt off. And I think he might've felt self-conscious saying it. I don't think it would have, I don't think it would have fit him the same way. Yeah. And, so I, I never had a problem with it, but I was just curious in the context of the video. It's powerful. Yeah. 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 And I remember I was living in New York because I lived in New York briefly when I had already had the album. So I'd gotten it when I was still living in Florida and I'd moved to New York for a girl. And the, that's when this video was released. And I'm, I was living in Williamsburg. So it was like in this hipster part of town. And I remember coming out of uh, like a bodega or some New York thing. And this song had been playing. And like these three New York hipster guys came out and they're like, Johnny Cash is trying to make me hate him. Because that was like the first time they'd heard that. And I'm like, I bet those dudes in a month were talking about how much they loved that song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were. Because uh, I don't think they actually saw the video. They just heard the song and, and kind of had that initial reaction. And I thought that was kind of was like, what are you talking about? So yeah. I, I think overall, the thing I would say about this, and this song gets more, we'll get more talk, I think, than some of the others. But um, the, the thing that I would say with this is I do think it is the pinnacle of what Rick Rubin brought to this project yep. in, in being able to identify. There's some other great covers that, that he has cash do um, mm -hmm. that are sort of more in line with, you know, that you could see more quickly, I think, than this one. This is one where he is definitely stepping outside and thinking outside uh, of the sphere that is obvious for cash and delivers an absolute masterpiece with it. Um, yeah. there, there are some other kind of off brand things that he brings along the way. Like you mentioned the Danzig or, you know, say rusty cage or something along those lines that are kind of cross cross genre, if you will. But this is, I, I think this really is the masterpiece uh, of the entire project in a way that it, it's uh, it really reflects on the vision that, that uh, Ruben brought and, and Johnny's ability to deliver it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Scores. This is my 15. Jeff this is my 15 too. Derek. So this is my five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Yeah. So this is my 15 as well. Yeah. All right. So yeah, this, and this is one that, like I said, I when you when we you said we're doing the album, I just I I, I have one other song that that could have possibly challenged it, but not it, it just didn't even seem close to me. Yep. All right. Next song is "Give My Love to Rose." Love to Rose please, won't you, Mister? Take her all my money. Tell her buy some pretty clothes. Tell my boy that daddy's so proud of him And don't forget to give my love to Rose My immediate reaction is um, the Rose always goes in the front. <laughs> sorry sorry uh, this, this was one of six uh, this is written by cash but this is also one of six that he previously recorded yep. it was recorded in 1960 for um the album sings hanks hank williams even though only a couple of the songs on there are hank williams songs so i, don't I even saw know. that yeah, yeah it was so weird 
Yeah, because this is actually a, a Cash song. Um, this one is Mike Campbell and Smokey Hormel on guitar and Ben Montench on uh, harmonium and organ. Uh, this one is the fourth and final Grammy that uh, Cash won for Best Male Country Vocal Performance. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I read a little bit about Sings Hank Williams. So um, four of the 12 tracks were written by Williams and the other ones were written by by Johnny. And it was released right after Cash had left Sun Records to go to Columbia. So it's a total cash grab by Sun Records. Yeah. That that particular record. So interesting choice for for him to re-record this particular one. I love it. Uh, this is a great, another great storyteller song. Um, it, it's just it gets me. The story gets me. Uh, the idea of you know this this guy dying that uh, is sending on his best wishes to his to his wife, who I'm assuming is Rose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, was I'm just making sure. Well, it wasn't this like mistress or whatever. He was trying to. He, he's concubine. Again, he's he's trying to get. No, he's trying to get back to uh, his wife Rose and to get to know his son for the first time. You know, um, he was in prison, and he's trying to get back to to get to know you know an infant son or or what was an infant son. I think when he went to prison, uh, and he doesn't make it back, and so he's he's passing. Passing on these wishes, telling him to take his money to Rose and tell his his boy that uh, his daddy's proud of him, and and uh, I just think it's it's a it's a really great great tune. Yeah. All right, Derek. Anything? Yeah. So this is an album I think filled with ghosts, and not just that. You know, Cash died a little bit after releasing this one, and uh, it's also some ghosts in the songs. This is the actual first death. It's not the last that's for sure, but this is our first dead body. And there's some ghosts about what this album I think could have been as well. And as you mentioned, this is one he had recorded, I think even a few times. So this may have been the third or fourth time he recorded this one. Uh, now the original, I went back and listened to the original with the Tennessee two and it had that, you know, straight as a razor blade, heavy as a freight train sound. And it, um, and I like this version. I like the original version. So that, that original one is just, that's early Johnny Cash. Like you could have substituted almost anything from his late 50s output. And it had that just, that standard Tennessee 2 sound. And it's, it's really good. And I like this version here, uh, even though it's, it's, it's nothing special. I, I like it. This is a good place for the third track. You know, those first two, you know, how do you, you, you follow up? the one of the last songs that he ever wrote and then an all-time great cover you know what do you do in song three i i guess you do this one you know it's a right. it's a it's a good tune uh but that's pretty much all i have with that okay derek your score on this this is my eight and this is my nine and jeff this is actually my 13 it's way up there for me jeff Jeff's front loading all of his scores. Boy, you know, my double digits are <laughs> almost all except one in the first five songs. I know. That's I, why I, I said I, you're front loading. Yeah, I don't know. This song, this song gets me. Might want to might want to keep a few of those in your back I know, pocket. I know. Right. It's a good album. All right, Great next album. song, uh, Bridge Over Troubled I Water. Will comfort you. I'll take your part. When darkness comes And pain is all around 
troubled water I will lay me down Like a bridge over troubled water And yeah, this is, um, this is a Simon and Garfunkel song. Cash was nominated for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals because this is done with Fiona Apple. Fiona Apple. I wanted to love this cover. I, re- I really did because I, I love Fiona. Her new album is probably, it's probably my second favorite record of the year. Maybe. I don't know. I'm on the fence on number two. <laughs> and it's my favorite Simon and Garfunkel song of all time. And I just don't love this this cover. I just don't feel like the, their two voices do not blend very well for me. Nope. I used to not love this cover. And when it first came out, this was a, a track I would have scored much lower. And then over time, I've grown to love this cover. Okay. I, I just have. And I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, but I like the juxtaposition between them for whatever reason. Um, and I'm not the biggest Fiona Apple fan. I don't particularly like the new album. I admire it. And I think it's, a, I love uh, it. it's an interesting uh, exploration. It just doesn't connect with me at all. Okay. Um, but um, I, I like her. I think her beautiful, her voice is, 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 is uh, gorgeous in this particular song. I think his worn voice again, adds context and texture talking about, uh, a, again, a bridge over troubled waters, uh, as you, you know, as I lay me down and all the, all the lyrics that go along with that, adding to where he's at in life, again, bring, you know, texture that I, I just don't think it had before it does i i think that this is one where simon simon and garfunkels is a better version no question but i like what he's doing on this i really like the i I don't know if it's the chamberlain or the mellotron that gives it that real low airy kind of sound this this pump kind of sound uh Mm -hmm. that's going on that roger manning is doing on that but it's it's got some real cool texture to it so do i need to take you to the fiona apple museum to convert you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I like Fiona Apple. I always have, and I, I really, actually, okay. really respect her new album I, I, as an adventure and as a, as is something that is very bold. It just doesn't connect with me. I've listened to it half a dozen times now, and I just, I don't, I'm not connecting to it. You know, it. I I didn't like Fiona Apple for the longest time, and we did we did an episode earlier in the year of When the Pawn, and I'm now hooked. I'm now a Fiona Apple fan. I re-listened, I re-listened to that record earlier this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, man, that's great. I've forgotten how much I oh, like that. It's so good. It's so good. Ben, I'm with you on this one where I wanted to like this song a lot more than I did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, re-listening to it a bunch of times in these last couple of days, you know, he really pushes it out in that first verse because I, this is not my favorite Simon and Garfunkel song, but it's up there because it's an all time, just more, it's a beautiful song. The, the lyrics match, but you know, let's be honest, like Garfunkel is doing some amazing acrobatics with his voice. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Cash, even in his heyday could not have done anything like that. And he pushes it out in that first verse and into the chorus. And it's really good. And I'm sure cost him a lot of energy to do that because then after that, it really falls flat and I really feel like Fiona Apple is initially underutilized because all of a sudden she's just kind of humming over it or something for a bit. And it isn't until towards the end. And, you know, it sounds like a cello to me. So I know what you're talking about there, uh, Jeff. I just There's no credit for a cello, but it's that really low end. 
that that really kind of works a little bit for a moment. Um, but you know, you brought up um, the Unearthed box set, which came out, you know, weeks after he died, and so he wrote the, you know, the liner notes for it. So that was planned to be released before he before he had died, and they do a version of Cat Stevens' Fathers and Sons, Father and Sons, that I think is better than this song. I agree. And that's like another yeah. that's another ghost, you know, the, of what this album could have been because there's a few choices that are on the Unearthed box set that I don't know why they didn't make this record, you know, and this is one of them like, cause the lyrics really fit with what he could do. Yep. And if he would have just not tried a few different things and just stayed in his register, I think I would have liked this a lot better. Um, cause you know, this is, is such a great song and that the line when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you is one of my all time favorite lines in music, you know, and singing, hearing Cash sing that should have made my knees come out from under me, and it doesn't. You so. know what? You know what is? So this is me being um, production snob. If Fiona Apple would have done the really high Garfunkel, you know that ending note that he does on this song. Yep. That's what's missing for it for me. That is exactly. like that is the accumulation of that song where I want to hear that note every single time. That is that's the pinnacle of the song for me. If Fiona would have done something similar, and again, this is this <laughs> we're we're not going to revisionist history this at, at this point. <laughs> But um, if she would have held that high note, it probably would have tracked higher for me because I didn't yeah, hear it. Here. I didn't hear it. I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying. And like I said, when I first got this album, this was not a favorite. And over time, for whatever reason, it just it's got a comforting quality to me. Um, okay, and that's just it. And then listening to it to score it for whatever reason, it it just kind of kept rising up the score sheet. Sure. All right, your score. Mine ended up a ten on this. Okay, and I'm a four, and then Derek. This is my five. All right. I hung my head as next. My brother's rifle went off in my hand. A shot rang out across the land. The horse he kept running, the rider was dead. I hung my head. I hung my head. And this is a sting song. Um, You know, if you would have told me that this was a cash original, yep. I would have believed you. Yep. I mean, yep. every word on this is, <laughs> this is just a Johnny Cash song. And I do not like Sting. Like, I like the police, but I don't like Sting. And I tried to listen to this song this week, and I didn't make it past the first minute. It's awful. It's terrible. It's and a buddy of mine... Yeah is a big fan of Sting. And he said the first time he heard the song that, you know, other than the instrumentation, when he heard the lyrics, he says, that's a Johnny Cash song. And he tried to get me to listen to it, but I wouldn't do it. And then Cash ended up covering it. It was amazing. (laughs) Well, Sting's version gets completely lost in overproduction. Um, And you're not hearing the story anymore. It's just about unlistenable to me. I, 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 I've, I listened to it this week a couple of times just to try and kind of compare it. And it is just almost hard to listen to, but the, the I couldn't get through it. The writing and lyrics are there. It's a great example of, of Rick Rubin taking a song. That's a terrific fit for Johnny. And then showing the power of the vocals and the lyrics of this strong, of this song by stripping it really bare. 
Sting should really yeah. actually be happy for the showcasing of the story that he's written um, yeah. with what Cash does because you don't hear the story at all in his version. And it is, you're right, that was my note too, is that this is such a Cash type of song where a single choice can have such huge ripple effects. Um, it feels like a tune that, that Cash should have written. Um, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really a number, another song on this album where it overtakes the original so much that, you know, they, he ought to be thanked for it. So can, can I pile on, on the, the sting thing? Please, please do. <laughs> so I'm a huge police nerd. I love the police and I, and I love the first three sting solo records as well. This is my jumping off point was Mercury Falling, which which is, this song is on. And I'm pretty vocal about how much I love Sting back in the 80s. And then when I saw him live for this record, I was done. He phoned it in for that concert. He did a medley of police songs, so I didn't even get to hear the police songs in their entirety, which really pissed me off as well. And then he did that song with Shaggy. And as soon as you do a song with Shaggy, I'm out. I'm just out. Um, so I jumped off. But the fact that um, I always kind of thought that this was a Johnny Cash song, because somebody told me that it was, and I didn't realize until years later, because again, I jumped off the sting wagon, realized that, yeah, the sting performed the song. So, my question for you guys is, since you have listened to both versions, is the story of the boy shooting the stranger, did he mean to do it or was it an accident? I, I really think it was an accident. I think it was just one of those. I, I think that's kind of the point of this song uh, of how capricious everything really is. It would be one thing if this kid, this guy was a murderer because that's what, you know, what he wanted to do. It was just more like, oh, I'm going to practice it. It's sort of like, you know, it could have been hitting golf balls, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to aim at that guy because I'm such a terrible golfer. There's no way I'm going to hit him. And then you hit him and he dies. And it's just, what do I do? I'm going to run away. Uh, and it's a boy. Um, and it's a boy. Yeah. And it's yeah. And he's a boy. So I think. Um, he's the opposite of, of killing a man in Reno just to watch him die. He's the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, if it was a uh, golf ball, um, Happy Gilmore did run. When he hit that, when he hit right. that guy on his first try, he did exactly. Yeah. yeah, he did. Run. Yeah, it, it, this one, the storytelling again. I'm a big, big storyteller fan, and and this one, the story is really kind of heartbreaking. Um, and again, it's that single choice, that one single choice that has all these ripple effects. He he orphaned his children. He widowed his wife. He's going to the gallows for it. Uh, his family suffers. I mean, it's just one thing after another that comes from one small decision. And, uh, you know, Johnny's done that with things like take your guns to town or, you know, I mean, it's just these small decisions that have these giant ripple effects and, and can, uh, really serve as cautionary tales. You know, not many of us are sitting out there aiming at uh, horseback riders with guns, but the, the message is still there and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty great. This is a great piece of dumpster diving on the part of Rick Rubin to pull this. Yeah. Off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. And this is the one that really um, I look forward to this every time I put the album on, and and this is the one that could have potentially challenged uh, Hurt for me. Wow. Okay. What's your score then? This is a fourteen. This is a hard, hard fourteen. It's way up there. It's my number two. All right. This is my ten, Derek. 
And this is my six. All right. So we go from um, one that's going to track in our top five to one that is um, our least favorite. All right. Here's the first time ever I saw your face. My love. And the first time. Ever I kissed your mouth. I felt the earth move. And I just hate this song. Um <laughs> so this this dates back to 1957. It was written for Peggy Seeger. It was written by mm-hmm. her, yeah, by by you and McCall. Yep. And um, Seeger was not married to Ewan McCall at that time. She she did later. She's the half sister of Pete Seeger. No relation to Bob. Um, she <laughs> would later later end up marrying Ewan. Yeah. Um, big big song for Roberta Flack. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my that's the version I know. Yeah. yeah. Number one single of the year for 1972. Won the Grammy for Record and Song of the Year that year. Yep. Um, Clint, Clint Eastwood. And I hate her version, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't hate her version. Um, uh, I like her version certainly a lot better than this one. Um, Clint Eastwood kind of gets a lot of credit, really, for were included in Play Misty for me. Um, that's that's where it really kind of took off from. Uh, was him, oh, okay. Yeah, him putting it in Play Misty for me. Um, it's been recorded by the Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Gordon Lightfoot, Elvis Presley, and according to McCall's daughter-in-law, she said that he hated all the covers, and he had a special section in his record collection for him entitled The Chamber of Horrors. He thought they were travesties, <laughs> bludgeoning, histrionic, and lacking in grace. He wasn't around for Johnny's version, though, so he may have been delighted with that, but I'm not. Uh, so he hated Roberta's, too? Yes, hated all the covers, uh, according oh. to his sister, his daughter-in-law. Did he Did he hate the checks that... Uh, probably not. That, he probably enjoyed yeah, the, okay. the checks that okay. came. But uh, yeah, he he again. I like that Chamber of Horrors is his record collection. Histrionic and lacking in grace well, is how he described them. Put this uh, version. Nice. Put this this version. This one is too plotting. Um, it's it seems like Cash is even almost struggling to slow it down as much as it is. Um, it's weird. It's it's got a weird pacing to it, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, first he tries to keep up with Art Garfunkel. And now he's trying to keep up with either Peggy Seeger or Roberta Fleck, right. you know, who had the biggest versions, who also have these big soaring voices. Um, and it's just, it's too sappy. And it's one of the few times during this whole series that I don't feel like Cash made it his own. I mean, there's there's none of his personality in this. And, you know, to go back to Unearth, like, why is this record, why is this song on this record and not, let's say, gentle on my mind? Yeah which is a great cover and would fit with, you know, kind of in that same tempo and would fit in this place on the record. And or Pocahontas or. Well, I think Pocahontas would have been more towards uh, the second album, yeah, I mean, but yeah, Pocahontas is an all time. I think that's a great version of that song and I can listen to that all day. Yeah. Um, and I really felt like general on my mind is, is closer to where he was. Cause I think that would have been a little bit earlier, but I won't argue with having why that wasn't on any of the proper releases either. This is mind blowing to me, but, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is not a good song. Yeah. All right. This is my two Jeff. Oh, interesting. It's my one. And then, and this is my three. 
that's my three. All right. Next song, Personal Jesus. Reach out and touch faith. Reach out and touch faith. Your own personal Jesus. Yes, this is a Depeche Mode song, and I thought that this was going to track higher for me. So that just tells you that once I started diving into this record, it um, it changed a few things. Um, Billy Preston is on the piano on this one. That's right, yeah. And it's got great, great piano. Um, it's just got this honky-tonk, boogie-woogie kind of feel to it. Yeah. Another one that just doesn't overtake the original in any, in any way for me. And I thought mine would score higher too. And then as I was diving in the record more, it just uh, just doesn't. And this is, we, we talked about John Frusciani. Yep. That's from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So he was asked by Ruben to do an acoustic version of, of this. And so he strips it down and here it is. And, and then Smokey Hormel is on slide guitar on this one, um, yeah. which you can hear yeah. quite a bit of. It's good. I like it. And for me, here's another ghost and the ghost of what Johnny Cash's voice used to be. I wish he would have done this song for Unchained when he still had full control over his baritone. Okay. And with basically the heartbreakers backing him up. But because the music on this is so good, uh, you know, because the guitar has that kind of slap to it. So it sounds like a bass. And I don't think there's any bass on this record at all. Uh, and that barroom piano. I mean, this one really swings. And imagine if he could have delivered this vocally from his gut, like he was doing Rusty Cage right. or one of those. I mean, if this is on the second album, we're talking about how this is a Pantheon cover because of just how the music is. And, you know, it may have been different players or whatnot, but uh, I think this would have been all timer as opposed to just a good song. I mean, it's good. And mainly just because the music on this is is great because I love the Depeche Mode song. Yeah. And this is, you know, that was one of the, I remember when I was first going to dance clubs at, you know, 18 or 19 in 1990, that this was a song you heard all over the place and that he found his own way into it. Cause I mean, this is one where he does make it his own. And even though his voice isn't quite up to the task and the thought of him, him doing that on unchained, just like, ugh. It- what could this have been? This is one of the songs where the where the music stands above the vocals for sure. Yeah, and, and it is a it is a yeah. nice arrangement. It is fun to hear this song, you know, honky tonked up, westerned up, whatever you want to call it. It is fun to hear that cross genre work on this particular one. But his voice is failing a little more on this album, and, and it's a little adventurous for what he's able to pull off. Um, but yeah, still still a cool cover. Yeah. All right, scores. This is my six. Jeff five, Derek. Yeah, this is uh, this is my seven to average it all out. All right. So next is in my life, which is a Beatles affection for people and things that went before. I know I'll often stop and think about them in my life. I love. All right. Wayne's not here. So I'm going to channel Wayne for a couple moments. Is that okay? I'm going to go. Yes, please. I'm going to go. Yes, please. I'm going to go all, all old man, get off my lawn for a couple seconds. 
I'm tired of people covering this damn song. I don't want to hear another cover of In My Life ever. Ever. I don't want to hear it on any of the 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 singing shows. I just don't want to hear it. Okay. This is from 2002. So this was 18 I, years before you declared that. So it's too late. I, underst- I understand. So Ozzy Osbourne has covered this. I despise that version. Crosby, Stills, <laughs> and Nash did a cover in the 90s. It was lazy. Like, you guys are some of the greatest songwriters alive. You can't write another song instead of going here for, for a cover? Come on. Judy Collins, Bette Midler, Diana Krall, they've all covered it. Yeah. I'm only going to give Diana a pass because I love her. Well, but I barely give her a pass. Well, that's why I guess I give Johnny a pass on this one. Okay. I actually really love this cover. Um, I, I really do. I like, again, this is another one in the list where I think that his age adds texture to this in a way that, no. that doesn't with, with McCartney. And, and uh, not again, not to say his is better by any stretch, but I do like the texture that his, his experience brings to these lyrics. Um, I, I absolutely do. And I, I can see why Ruben would have, would have cash cover this. Cause it's a nice, simple song with a sparse arrangement. And, um, his version is slower. It adds almost 30 seconds to the runtime. Uh, but okay. I, I really do like this cover quite a bit and, and I like it more than I used to again on this album. It's another one that has risen like a bridge over troubled water a little bit for me. So my daughter really likes Glee they did a Beatles episode and all I can say is to paraphrase a quote from the next song, Sam Hall, damn my ears. <laughs> That's all I can say. I just, I don't want to hear another cover of this. I'm throwing this out. This is my one. Oh boy. Okay. So, you know, I think this is, it's obviously, it's a sweet and beautiful sw- song that he can't quite deliver. So we're left with like, you know, a terrific, a terrific musical backdrop and vocals that sometimes struggle. And, you know, and there can be, and obviously has been beauty in the struggle. I don't see it here. It's a fine version, but I, again, I don't think he finds his way into it because that musical backdrop doesn't really do much different. You, know, you said it does slow it down and he doesn't find a way to stay within what he can sing. And so when he does that in, you know, my life, you know, he just try and it doesn't sound good, yeah. but it doesn't sound bad in a way that's touching. So, you know, Jeff, I see exactly what you're saying, but I just, I don't, I don't hear that, you know, so it hasn't, it hasn't penetrated this dark, dark heart. Yeah. I think life. both of you uh, need a heart check. Uh, no, I, I, it, I get it. Look, there's a lot of these on here that it, it it's just depends on your context. It depends on where you're at with both him and whoever sang it first, I think to some extent always kind of comes into play too. Like I said, this one lyrically, again, I'm intrigued by hearing a man at the end of his life uh, talk about these in a way that wouldn't have been true, actually, when Lennon and McCartney were, were singing about it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah don't go listen to the Aussie version ever. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't normally seek out him, him covering the Beatles. So. It's so awful. All right, Jeff, your score. Uh, I've got it as an eight. And then Derek. This is my four. All right. Next song is Sam Hall. Well, my name, it is Sam Hall, Sam Hall. Yes, my name, it is Sam Hall, it is Sam Hall. My name, it is Sam Hall, and I hate you one and all. And I hate you one and all. Damn your eyes. 
I killed a man, they said, so they said. Go, go ahead, Terry. They say, you know, this is obviously another one that he had recorded before. And, you know, that first version is good, but this one is effing great. The, the humor and the line readings in this one are so good. I love the song. This briefly, briefly was my number 15. Uh, I, I love just the way he does everything. And I like that, you know, I killed a man, they said. And then just the way he says, and I smashed in his head and I left him lying dead. And so, you know, it has that first, it could be one of these, you know, innocent victims that we see in a lot of Johnny Cash's songs. And this dude is anything but an innocent victim. And, and it's it is so good. I love so many of the things he says here. Uh, you know, that, hey there, Molly, ain't you proud? And my favorite is when the sheriff, you know, the sheriff, he came to and he says, well, sheriff, how are you? You know, this is a dude on a scaffold with a rope around his neck and he still could not be bothered by anybody out there. And I had put this on a mixed CD for my dad who doesn't like country music at all. But he and his friends thought this was so funny that damn your eyes became a standard insult for my dad and his buddies because they would play pool every week. And if they missed a shot or if somebody won, it was damn your eyes for like a year. <laughs> Everybody And I just, I love this song so much because it's so funny. It's so just in, you know, it's another dead guy or going to be a dead guy. And, and somehow there's just this spite and vitriol and humanity in this guy who's a you know, seconds from death and could not be bothered with anybody. And it's fantastic. No remorse. He's like the Yang to the narrator from hung my head. Um, you yeah. know, he is the opposite end of that more like shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Kind of a character for Johnny. Um, I really love the original on this one as well. Um, now this one's credited as being written by country music hall of famer, Tex Ritter, who is John Ritter's dad. Um, uh, he's a credited writer, but the song, it, it seems to have much older origins as an old English folk song that was originally called Jack Hall after an English thief that was hanged uh -huh. in 1707. Um, but it, it is a great storytelling song and, and Johnny really rises to the occasion on it and sings it with a lot of joy. The, uh, the thing that really sticks out to me musically on this one is, uh, Roger Manning, uh, on the tack piano. The tack piano is so fantastic. Um, it, it really adds this this sort of tinny kind of sound to what's going on that uh, just backdrops the story really nicely. The guitar is also really great on this one. Yeah, and it's funny because on my vinyl version, uh, Cash is, reg is uh, listed as being the writer of this song. And then I saw the the uh, Tex Ritter, and then but I went and tried to listen to the original version. And at first, like the only thing you can really find on Spotify, at least here in Poland, is a is an Irish version where it's um, Sam Hall chimney sweep, and so it's in the same tempo and tune. But other than you know, my name is Sam Hall, he doesn't repeat it. He's like, my name is Sam Hall chimney sweep chimney sweep. Uh, and it's, you know, so you can hear like, I think the Dubliners do it. And, you know, so it's kind of an Irish folk thing that I'm assuming Tex Ritter kind of rewrote or something like you were saying, Jeff. And then, uh, uh, yeah, originally I went in thinking this was a, it was a cash rewrite, let's say of a, of a traditional song, but yeah. Interesting. All right. Scores, Derek. Uh, this is my 14. And I, I'm, I'm. I'm echoing your 14. Jeff? I'm a nine on this. Okay. Next song, Danny Boy. 
Or when the valley's hushed and white with snow I'll be here in sunshine or in shadow Oh, Danny boy, oh, Danny boy, I love you so. Jeff, what do you got on Danny boy? Well, Danny boy, uh, again, is another one that he has recorded previously for Orange Blossom special in in 65. Um, This one was uh, written by Frederick Weatherly, uh, an English songwriter in 1913. This is covered by just about everybody everywhere. Everyone. Recently, I saw it in... um, uh, I've just started watching the the series Shit's Creek, and Catherine O'Hara is, jumps in to sing it at a funeral, and it's pretty hilarious uh, to try to get themselves out of an awkward situation. Uh, ben Montench on pipe organ on this is just uh, unbelievable. I love. It was the only pipe a matter organ. of time before you started talking. Well, about he's ben he's all over this, but I saved it for this one because Ben Mont. This is that's the only musician credited on this this portra- uh, this particular track. I think he has a really great voice for this. I think this one. Um, I, I, I wanted to like it even higher, but I've, I think I've heard it so many times in so many ways, but I, I really dig this. I've always dug this song. It has a gravitas to it. That's, that's always kind of fascinating. I listened to orange blossom special last night. Nice. I, I like the original version better, way better. I will say this though. Johnny's version of it ain't me, babe. Awful. You can't touch the turtles version. Oh, I don't agree at all. That would be no. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? What? Are we, are we talking about it? Ain't me? Like when when he and June sing that together? Yeah, that would be wrong. Well, this one is just him by himself on Orange Blossom Special. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have to listen to that one because yeah. you know the the one that he does with June is That's is good. an all timer. That's good, but that version okay. not good. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, I. He's in he's in really good voice on this one. Uh, I just don't care for it much, and I don't like it's just that you know big empty church organ and those really echoey vocals. There's just there, there's nothing for me to hang on to this one. Yeah. All right. Scores, Jeff, six. Derek, this is my two. This is my three. All right. Next song, Desperado. Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses Come down from your fences And open the gate I have the benefit of seeing score, so Derek, get started. Okay, Uh, I don't like the Eagles, uh, but Desperado is one of the few songs by them that I can stand. Uh, and there's a, a absolutely beautiful version. Do you guys know the movie uh, In America? Um, Came out probably around 2000, 2001, about Irish immigrants that would move to America. I and, think I know. You know they're, they're I, don't, I don't know if I know it or not. It's a, it's a, really, it's a really good movie. Um, so uh, you guys remember uh, The Minority Report with uh, yes. yeah. Tom Cruise? Right. So one of the, those, the uh, precogs. So the woman is is in this movie, and she's still growing her hair out in this one. And it's a Patty Patty Waugh, I think they, I can't remember his last name. So he's he's they're Irish immigrants. They they're illegal immigrants in America. They're living in New York. He's trying to be an actor. Uh, their youngest son Samantha had Moore died. Jimon Hansu in it too. Yeah, I did see this. It's a Jim Sheridan. It's uh, yeah, written by Jim Sheridan. 
Yes, definitely. Uh, and uh, so Sarah Bolger, or Bolger, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. So she's a little kid in this movie, and I think she's still acting, so Irish. And she sings this as like a talent show for her school. And it's such an emotional part of the movie. And it's a song, okay, I kind of like. And I can absolutely see Cash doing a devastating version of this. But instead, we get this version where he lets just Don Henley, Don Henley all over this. And I hate it. I hate the Henley part. Uh, when he gets it, and it's, and I'm, you know, I'm reminded of, you know, uh, you know, Henley covering Everybody Knows by uh, Leonard Cohen, I was which I have not made it past the first three seconds of that, because as soon as he starts to Don Henley, I have to skip it. So as much as I do like the original of this song, I do not like this version. So here. What you're saying is you want me to invite you on the episode we do for the long run or hotel California. Is that what you're saying? Please. Yes. <laughs> who's uh, I, who's I, Wayne's nemesis from the Eagles? Who is that again? Timothy um, B. Schmidt. That's <laughs> Wayne's arch nemesis. I don't have the vitriol for Don Henley. Um, yeah, I don't either. That 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 you do. I I will say that I've hated almost all of the stuff that the Eagles and Don Henley has done since probably two thousand two. But I don't. I, I'm with you though, Derek. His his vocals on this are rough. Like yeah, like Henley or, or if Cash. this was Henley's. Yeah, but they're so minor. Uh, they don't even really because that's all I hear. No, I don't. I don't hear it that much. <laughs> yeah, I like okay. I, I like this song for Cash. Um, I, I I think that it could have been better for sure. Um, but uh, I like it. I like him singing this song. Um, it fits him, uh, and I don't. I, I don't. I don't notice Henley that much. I guess on it, so it didn't bother me as much. It's it's it, it fits in the middle of the pack for me. Derek, do you know Linda Ronstadt's version of this? Uh, no, I don't think I've heard that. It's the best one. Is it good? It's the best one. I'll check that out because I I do I do generally like the song, and you have to you have to watch you know if you just do in America and it's Sarah Bulger, it's worth watching because she's a little kid and it's it's an emotionally devastating part of the movie. I don't remember that part of the movie. I do remember the movie now though. Um, I, I was on a Jim Sheridan kick at one point watching watching his stuff, so I did see this one, but I don't remember the the talent show part. I'll check cool. that out again. Uh, Jeff, your score? Mine's seven. This is my five in Derek. This is my one. And that's one with um, the middle finger extended. <laughs> and... <laughs> All right. It's a one with a bullet. Yeah. All right. Next song is I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky and as I wonder where you are I'm so lonesome I could cry I'm so lonesome was previously recorded by Cash for his 1960 album Now There Was a Song all right, way so, better, way better version of it, too. Really? Because yeah. I like Nick Cave's parts on. I this. hate it. I think I, it. I feel I, the way about Nick Cave that that he that uh, 
that uh, he was just described that Derek was just describing. Um, that is hilarious. You want to read? You want to hear my notes? Yeah. No, I don't. But I, I'll listen. <laughs> my notes here say, "Why did they not do this with Don Henley parts on the previous song, or just have Nick Cave sing Desperado?" Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that would have been so much better. I can't stand Nick. I can't stand Nick Cave's voice on this. It's weird. Okay. It, everything about it just seems weird. Um, it doesn't sound like him to me for whatever reason. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. It's too slow and down compared to the Hank Williams version. Um, the Hank Williams version, you know, as the funny thing is, is I'm so lonesome I could cry. It's still like this, got this upbeat back music to it. Um, so I don't know. Just didn't, doesn't again work for me. All right. I, I dig it. I like it a lot. Um, Derek, what do you, what do you have to say on this one? Uh, you know, so, so Cash and Williams are just two towering voices in country music. And I love just how different they are. And, you know, so when Hank Williams does this, you know, he has that quality of his voice that sounds like a train whistle, you know, and Cash has obviously in- interpreted Williams many, many, many times. And I'm a big fan of Nick Cave. I, I, I really love Nick Cave. And uh, obviously, uh, Johnny and Hank are are obvious touchstones for him. And I kind of like his verses here, but I'm I don't dislike them as much as Jeff does, but I understand exactly what you're saying because he does that thing where he's trying to affect his voice to sound like something as opposed to just singing like Nick Cave. Yeah. I like Nick Cave. This isn't a, this isn't even like what you feel about Don Henley generally. Like I, I like him, but he's doing something where <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. he I, sounds like, um, gosh, what's the, he, the Latin singer that, uh, the son of, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Enrique. It sounds like a, like Enrique Iglesias trying to do oh. this. He, he he puts on this weird thing with his voice where it does until you look at it. You're like, is that Enrique Iglesias? It's weird to me. <laughs> just, it just is very bizarre. Let me be your hero. It reminds me a little bit of when Mick Jagger tries to do a Southern accent. <laughs> Which is never a good thing. So it's not quite that bad. And I, I, I appreciate it for what it is. And, and I don't mind it so much. I just, but when they actually harmonize on that final verse, it sounds off. Like I don't like how it ends. And for the most part, I, I like this up because, I, you know, I like the original. I like Cash's part. I don't mind uh, Nick Cave's part, even though, once again, to go back to Unearthed, I like Cindy a lot more than I like this song. Yeah. Uh, I think is, and even though he does a little bit of the vocals on that one too, with, uh, with some of that affectation, uh, I still, I still like this one. Uh, I think despite Nick cave, not being what I would really like Nick cave to be. And now that Ben has said Nick cave actually singing the parts on desperado, I desperately want that. I'd so be down for that. Too. We have to figure I'd be out down for that. Too. So let's see if we can get that together. Yeah. So, yeah. but I All love right. the Hank Williams version of this too. That's the other thing is it, it's just, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't have that context. I'm, I, it's so good. I have not dived into the Hank Williams thing. I love yet. Hank. So, you know, I, you know, and Ben, I'm like, you. I'm not a country music guy. I'm not either. Uh, there are a few things there. There's a few things that have, that have broken through for me. And Hank Williams is one of those. Old, okay. old he is country. A dev- old country. Yeah, he's a devastating songwriter. He can do, so much in a couplet that other songwriters cannot do in 10 verses. It's just, you know, what he does is, is pretty amazing. And, and the effect with his voice, 
I'm not always a big fan of that, you know, kind of the nasally thing, but just the, just the, the things he can do. It's, it, he was so good. So good. All right. Let's get scores. Sorry. I just threw out a yawn. There. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, a big yawn. We bored, <laughs> we, we bored Ben. So my, my apologies. High five. <laughs> <laughs> on on a on a upper note i just got my uh, my new cpap machine today all right all right yeah so i'm hoping for some better sleep here real soon um all right overshared all right uh jeff your score a two derek nine this is my 13 what wow wow yep i like okay. it. nice cool all right next song tear stained letter I'm gonna write a tear-stained letter Mark it personal, private news And I hope you'll keep it to yourself And don't go around crying the blues Giving off a bad impression As to what went really wrong And, um, I just lost my notes. Somebody help me out here. <laughs> This was written by Cash. It's another one of the ones on here was written by Cash. Yeah. It's another one of the six that he previously recorded in 72 for the album A Thing Called Love. Um, this one actually has Johnny uh, playing guitar. Just Johnny Cash and Randy Scruggs and Kerry Marks are on guitar. Uh, Billy Preston's on piano. Joey Waronker on drums. Uh, the piano really drives this one to me. This is uh, really piano driven, I think. Uh, yeah. And when you see Billy I, Preston's playing on something, you're like, all right, yep. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. And it's great. I, lo- I love this song. I, I just think this is a, a real fantastic. A lot of the, the, the lyrics, the, there's just, they're dripping with, with uh, uh, sarcasm at times or, you know, just re- power. Uh, what he's written in here is this idea of a jilted lover or, you know, someone who can't quite move on. I love it. So if you send me a letter that says personal private news, I should probably not read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, did you guys listen to the original? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the original was so much slower yes. and rueful and sad, you know, so that, that original one, it's just sort of like, it's kind of mopey. And what I like about, you know, I don't, he doesn't change any of the lyrics, but the way he sings it, this one's more like a kiss off and it's a, yep better song for it. Like the original song is, is okay. Not one I would think to redo, but he redoes this one. And then you say like with that piano, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, I'm moving on from the second record. Uh, and just how it's just this up tempo. And it, one of my favorite, you know, the, the verse where it goes, yeah, you know, it's like tell about how every time I got, I get turned on, you turn me off and bring me down it's about to be the darkest news that ever did arrive in your hometown. And in the original one, it's just so sad and mopey and whatever. And the way he sings it here, it's like a threat, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's just the, uh, it's just dripping with venom and sarcasm. And it's great. This version is so much better, so much better than the original. It's definitely better. It's, it kind of reminds me a little bit of personal Jesus on this. And I, and I think that has to do with Billy Preston. Mm-hmm. Uh, his piano on this on sure. this as well but you're right it, it is there's venom all over it and i love the way he delivers the line and not some red hot upbeat zinger that'll set your body on fire <laughs> I, I love it, it yes yeah. yeah all right scores jeff 11 derek 11 see you guys can agree uh and this yeah. is my eight all right 
Next is Streets of Laredo. The clods as they fall. Then beat the drum slowly. Play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as you carry me along. Take me to the green valley. Lay the sod o'er me. I'm a young cowboy and I know I've done but the third song here that he originally recorded in 1965, right? So I think there are three of them, like two of them came off of one album and another one came off an album that same they, that same year. Uh, and so this is an old traditional song, um, which I, you know, no, so no real songwriting credit here. And I think, you know, the verses are fine, but when he gets to, um, then the beat, uh, then beat the drum slowly, play the five lowly, play the dead March as you carry me along like he just lifts that part. He makes that soar. And it's moments like this that I didn't see in, in my life or first time ever I saw your face and where he, he digs deep and brings this one up. So I think is initially like the first couple of times I, I listened to it, like the, the verses, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. But when he hits that part, it just, he just makes this song move. And, you know, I like that part about, uh, you know, please not one word about the man who killed me. Don't mention his name and his name will pass on. Uh, and it just really ties into a lot of these themes that he, well, he's done his whole career. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really like this one, even though I think his vocal is a little bit lackluster at the beginning. But when he hits it, he hits it with this song. Yeah, I think his vocal being lackluster uh, early kind of hurt it for me a little bit, but I agree with what you're talking about when he gets into that part where he's really punching at home. Um, this is the first one that is a low score for me that I really, you know, I'm like, I feel bad about my score because it, it is a song that I actually, I like, I'm glad he recorded again, but I think I've also heard it done so many times yeah. that yep. it, it's less adventurous to me than some of the other things I, I hear for the first time on an American you know, record, I guess is, is kind of where I fall on it. I see what you're saying with that one. I agree. Yeah. And Danny boy should have done that to me too, but for whatever reason, it still rose to a six. I, I don't know. So I'm not <laughs> even consistent in my, in my reasoning, but uh, maybe it's also at the end of uh, an album with 15 songs on it that, uh, you know, it, it's not doing anything surprising yet yeah. or anymore. I recall the Marty Robbins version of this. Yeah. 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 All right. This is my 12 Jeff. Uh, three. Derek. This is my 10. All right. And then we're going to wrap this up with We'll Meet Again. Yeah, we'll Meet Again. I don't know where and I don't know when. But I do know that we'll meet again some sunny day. So, honey. Keep on smiling through Just like you always do Till the blue skies Drive the dark clouds And this is um, with I believe the crediting is with the whole gang With the whole cash gang I think that's whole what cash gang. I, I would like to think that every single person Who ever sang a song with him During this American run Is on that chorus at the end like that's every- how I like to think of it too. That's that's exactly the way I like to think of it. I don't know if it's true, but it's probably not. Just go with it. Go with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, that's that's you, you can't convince me otherwise. So nobody will tell me different. So that's as far as I know, every single person who ever sang with him sang that one. And this one makes me tear up almost every time. Uh, it's on a list of songs that I want played at my funeral. Uh, I, I love the guitar and just kind of that jazzy little clarinet. It sounds like something that could have been in like the Muppet movie. And I mean that in the very best way possible. And such a great ending song. He gets to say his own goodbye. And, you know, I'm not, you know, we've talked about before, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I don't really believe that there's an afterlife. But if there is, you know, we're going to meet again. And there's something just so hopeful and beautiful and um, just terrific about the song. I love this song so much. Not the best album closer for somebody in their heyday. You you know which one I'd be picking, right, Jeff? For of what? Oh, you're talking about um, uh, Zevon? Oh yeah, keep me in your heart. Oh, you're talking about oh, yeah, keep me in your heart. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing that like it doesn't quite do that to me, right? Um, with this one, uh, or you know, even you know, some of the stuff Bowie did on like Black Star or whatever, it doesn't quite get there. It's Hurt does that to me, I guess, yeah. from this album. So I see what you're saying, Derek, and I do like it, and I like the kind of hopeful goodbye of it. For some reason, I'm drawn to the more dark uh, goodbye of Hurt. I think <laughs> overall, yeah. um, but I do I like it. It's just upbeat, and and it's it's definitely got that kind of standard country ambling along kind of kind of quality to it. Which um, now I'm looking at scores. I'm like, Derek, maybe maybe you do believe. <laughs> go ahead with your score uh this is my 12 see you're way more hopeful than jeff and my scores are going to be jeff what was your score i'm a four again there's another one i wish i had higher left but i just don't i'm out of numbers like i said you should have kept a few of these double digits in your back pocket but i can't do it i'm very front loaded on this album for sure yeah. all right <laughs> and this is my seven all right so did we cover everything did we miss anything I think we covered it. I think that's interesting about this is is exactly what we see in the scores is that there are there are a couple of songs that we more or less agree on, but but these songs hit people differently yeah. depending on context, depending on your relationship probably to cash, depending on your relationship to the originals. Um, you know, it, it they and I think that's true of a lot of the I think if we sat down and we did the entire American series, I think we'd find kind of the same thing on every single one. Uh, where it just depends on your context you're bringing into it because of the nature of these albums are you trying to foreshadow is that <laughs> what we, you're t- what? is are that we, uh, yeah that's my callback i'm callbacking to your foreshadowing yeah yeah i'm foreshadowing <laughs> <laughs> but i do think i think that that's the nature of these that uh i think they affect you differently based on your relationship with the originals and yeah. and your relationship with cash in the first place so you bring a lot of that 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 baggage and background when you're you're listening to an album like sure. this with him, I think. All right. And, you know, so, we've, we've touched on this a few times. If you don't mind me bringing it up just kind of one last time before we, uh, before we exunt uh, about the unearthed box set. Uh, you know, Jeff, I know you've, you've heard that. Um, ben, have you oh, heard it? Yeah, I have not. It's so good, dude. It, it is. After the other albums, you didn't think you could get any, any better in that. And then unearth comes out and it's just phenomenal. 
it's it's amazing. It's it's so amazing how much was on the cutting room floor that they were able to put together. And basically, it's a five disc set. Uh, the fifth disc is basically kind of a greatest hits, let's say. Uh, disc four is a bunch of gospel songs uh, called from you know what my mother's songbook I think it was called. But the three were basically just leftovers, and most of disc one feels like it would have fit with that first record. And most of disc two felt like it would have fit with the second record. And then disc three could have been split between uh, discs three and four. And there's so much good stuff on that. And, you know, I'm just curious, you know, why certain things got left off. Like you mentioned before with Pocahontas, uh, the, uh, the Neil Young song is so good. And Heart of Gold is so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a handful of things in there that just, I, it just mystifies me that they got left off. And, uh, I, you know, it's one of those kids, you know, Ben, that's, I think one of the first times you, you haven't mentioned sequencing <laughs> on, on your show. Um, and just how I've thought about doing the thing where making disc four on my own, uh, from what is on the actual album and what, it, what I think would have fit from, uh, that third disc from the unearth box set, uh, you know, like in the cave, uh, doing, you know, Nick Cave and Johnny Cash doing Cindy and, and a, you know, smaller handful of songs. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I like the album we have. Redemption uh, song with Joe Strummer off of that my one. My God. So I used yeah, yeah. to, uh, I used to work at a record store and they got the box set in, um, you know, the weekend before it went on sale. And so they had a promo of it and we, <laughs> I was in the back room with my friend and there was like three or four of us there. We like, Oh, redemption song. And he puts that on. And we all had to be quiet for about 30 seconds because somebody was going to start crying. It was, you know, it's, it's really good. Uh, and how that didn't get included, I'm not really sure. But uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, this whole series is really fantastic. And, and this is, uh, you know, the, the two that came out after he died uh, have their moments. Uh, but this really feels like the last real one because, you know, everything else would have been done. Um, you know, posthumously with people putting music over vocals yeah. that already existed. Yeah. Although I will say that in uh, an American five, God's going to cut you down is a super highlight for me of this entire series. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, that's, you know, there's some a, great stuff on five and six. Yeah. I'm not going to say there's not, but you know, that's the you know, diminishing return to that point. Yeah, it is diminishing returns as albums, but there are still a couple of gems um, to come that, uh, you know, if you could read my mind on that, I really like a lot as well. But um, God's going to cut you down. My one of my favorite things to that is the um, True Grit trailer cut to God's going to cut you down. Yeah, uh, which was just fantastic. Good stuff. Gotcha. All right, top five. You already know what number one is. What's number two? Um, well, Sam Hall. You guys both had very high. Yeah, I think Sam Hall. Average score, 12.33. Third is The Man Comes Around, average score of 12. And then we've got a three-way tie for fourth, which is Give My Love to Rose, I Hung My Head, and Tear Stained Letter. I'm good with that. That's yeah. Nice. That's pretty solid. Yeah, Definitely. Great, great batch. I, I would have... I guess I... Yeah, I was going to say I, I would have loved to have seen Streets of Laredo on there. I would have been okay with seeing Personal Jesus, but we all, we all, I think, kind of slipped that one down. So, 
Yeah, it's still solid. Yeah. And I tanked, I tanked uh, Streets of Laredo. <laughs> I tanked I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry uh, <laughs> with my scores on those. Uh, so All good. But I forgive you. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a pretty pretty solid top of the album. Um, great album. I really, really love this one. It has a real, real special place for me. Yep. All right. So let's wrap this up, um, and I'll, I'll finish it with um, Derek and Jeff both. We'll meet again. That would be the hope. Yeah. We'll, we'll meet, meet again. We'll meet again. All right. Uh, Jeff, tell people where they can find all of your happenings. You can find me um, uh, on the socials at Jeff Makes Jokes um, on Twitter and, and Instagram, uh, which would now become hopefully much, much less political than it has been. So you might enjoy it more. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get back to just making jokes. Um, and then you can also find me uh, at WDIF Pod. Uh, on uh, both those places uh, as well. That's where our um, podcast, uh, Who Did It First, uh, is hosted. So, And your handle uh, on Parlor? <laughs> I, I am not joining the Parlor revolution. Okay. Uh, I'm not even good at the other socials at this point. But, uh, yeah, so follow us. Follow the podcast. We've got, like, I think 13 episodes now of the Who Did It First podcast out. So All right. um, I hope some of your listeners will check that out, too, and, and let us know what you think. And, Derek, where can people find you, um, especially on TikTok? Where can they find you on TikTok? <laughs> if you want to see all my dance moves on TikTok. <laughs> uh, so I have a, at my own website at uh, um, lovethisrecord.com, and I'm on Twitter at uh, lovethisrecord1. And on Facebook at Love This Record uh, for the for the podcast. Yeah, Excellent. I also have a personal one. I think it's uh, the Derek Care of You, but I rarely use that these days. So, it's, yeah, you can find me. I'm the only Derek Care of You who's ever lived uh, ever lived. So, yep. yeah, look that up. You'll find me. There you go. All right. So, of course, you can find all of our happenings on all the socials. Um, look, if you don't know where we're at yet, I don't know what to tell you. So, just find us. All right. Um, I'm getting lazy with the the ending. Can you tell? (laughs) (laughs) Out. Uh, uh, Me too. Yeah, we'll just (laughs) not not that bad. We'll just go right to out. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So here's here's the outro. So not that lazy. No. So please uh, please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Um, once we're you know cleared for for takeoff on that, but of course you can go and support all of your favorite artists. They're all doing live stream stuff, so please go support here's a, them. Here's, here's an interesting thing that I, I discovered recently that I just got into based on what you're saying, Ben. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, your go outro, for it. but um, I got an email from Pearl Jam about Nugs, N-U-G-S dot net, I think, and they had a deal where- it Sounds like a porn site. A, yeah, it does. <laughs> it's not- Yeah, yeah, it did. I was, I was very suspicious of the email, Okay, but they had a deal where it was like, I think, 30 bucks for a year to get uh, on their subscription- and it's it hosts a lot of live concerts from various artists, but the one that sold me was I could get both Pearl Jam and Wilco shows on there. Oh. So those are both on on there in you know all their I think mixing board glory, and and they've been put together to to be broadcast on there. So that's something if you're missing concerts, maybe check that out yeah, as well. Very good. Um, all right, you done interrupting? I'm hundred percent. Right. I always have to interrupt you. I know you, right? you do, you do, you do a fantastic job of it. All right. Let me, although, although another thing I would, oh I would recommend God. to your listeners because you're, you're look, you're, they're a music audience. This is not a joke. I, 
I, I it just comes to mind quickly, and I've I've kind of binged this in the last two weeks because I I needed some uplifting, and I started out with uh, the da- David Burns um, American Utopia on HBO, and it's just wonderful, wonderful for music fans. Um, it's uplifting. It has some important messages uh, to get across. But then I went in a couple nights ago and rewatched uh, Stop Making Sense as well on um, I think on Prime. It's on Prime and. Yeah, and and again, just I just felt great after watching it. Both those just made me feel fantastic, and I needed the kind of that boost, that uplift from from those things. So very good. Anyway, I'm done interrupting. All right. So um, make sure you go and buy a T-shirt of the band, buy a record, and uh, we are Records Revisited, and we are out. out.